Good afternoon. It's uh, Sunbaked Vicarage Road, and I, I went to Arsenal uh, under 18s this morning to cover them. They won 4 1, they beat Tottenham. I'm putting off talking about the Watford game, can you tell me? I've set up my head. As that game went on, I, I've uh, felt my head getting hotter and hotter and more painful and painful. And I think that's a pretty good metaphor for the game, really. As the game went on, I got uh, angrier and angrier and sort of slightly more worried as we went on. My name's Mike. I'm joined uh, outside Vicarage Road by Jason. Hello, I'm getting that Premier League feeling back because I've seen us lose at home twice in a week. And returning from Spain to see his first game of the season, is that right? It's, uh, it's JC, Geordie. How are you, mate? Yeah, hola. Um, yeah, I'm going to start looking for flights back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll chip in and, uh, and pay for you. Geordie, uh, you've got a dash off because a very angry looking James is down here because he's back from holiday. He's seen Watford lose. He's got no idea why he's been dragged from the beaches of Spain to come and watch this nonsense. JC, can you sum up what went wrong for Watford this afternoon? There seems to be a lot of things went wrong. I mean, letting three goals in doesn't help. It was, uh, you break it down, you look at it, we got two £30 million strikers. If it was the Bayern man, I would have lots of people up front, you know, on, on Twitter saying, oh, you know, if we'd sold, if we kept the best players and stuff. But we did keep the best players for today. QPR are an unspectacular but competent champion team. We should have, should have done better against them, frankly. We got better players than them in areas where it matters. If you've got two players that are, that are coveted by top Premier League teams and they're bringing off Albert Adoma off the bench and, and they're creating more chances for him than we're creating for our strikers then the problems are around the pitch and I think it was it's always very easy from the stands isn't it and you and I having a bit of back and forth on WhatsApp and me saying no come on we'll, once we get one we'll no, once we get back in the game the, the levy will break we'll, we'll, the dam will break we'll get five I said uh, Kayembe was going to score a screamer, and he did. And then, and then it got disallowed mysteriously, and we could have got a penalty. And Sema had a chance at the end of the first half where he didn't even cross it or shoot. I mean, there were lots of chances that it could have gone a different way. But ultimately, uh, it, 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 it was bizarre to see that they were pressing so high, um, squashing our midfield, which isn't particularly um, dynamic with, with Kayembe and Chowdhury. They're more gritty ball winners. A defence that isn't known for its kind of Baresi or Beckenbauer-esque kind of game dictation. And so you thought we just lump the ball over the top of them and let our pacey strikers, our young strikers, run through at will Espria, uh, you know, um, JP and Saar. But we, we, didn't, we seemed to fluff the, what seemed like a relatively simple shot pass, which then resorted to us then lumping it. Which, for which we may have just bought Bayo on instead of uh, Espria if we were just going to do that. Yeah. So it, it just felt like there was no, there was never any point where it always looked like it was, the ice was going to crack and we were going to get through, but we just never seemed to work out what we needed to do. And every time they came forward, they. Like uh, well, I didn't look like scoring, but they, 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 the first one was a bit of a fluke, it was a deflection. I didn't really see what happened in the build up to the last one, but it was you know, over, out, over, overloaded at the back. It just, it just seemed that we. we uh, insisted on trying to pass through midfield yeah, uh, when, when we needed to mix it up and that lack of dynamism and, and uh, flexibility in our, in our tactics to kind of keep them on their, on their toes I think it did for us in the end You come in, ta- you come in tactically in a minute Jace because I just want to talk about how I felt about the game as a whole and Geordie mentioned the sort of back and forth about, the, about our views on the game and which way it could go and Geordie's absolutely right in everything he's just said QPR well, on the face of it today, you'd rather have half of their team than half of ours in terms of what they were able to do with the ball. Certainly depth of squad, substitutions came on and, uh, and had an impact on the game. Adoma, you know, we sort of say it with a, a wry smile, really, the sort of player you expect to see pop up in FIFA 14. He's now scored the winner in this fixture, two games on the trot. Well, there you go. So, yeah, maybe we should sign him. Um, but what, for the whole game, 
And the reason I was so confident in saying that I thought this was going to be difficult for Watford after the first knockings, Watford looked completely out of control of this game. At no stage were they able to get hold of it, assert themselves onto it, use the so-called better players that we've got to, to try and, and take the game gently away from, from QPR. Uh, from from front to back, I thought Watford today were largely speaking um, a mess. They, I thought they were misshapen. Uh, they weren't able to. They were just never able to take control of the ball and therefore the game. I thought defensively, Sierraltar at times looked imperious. He looked like he take the ball away from his man and clear it. Next minute, you thought Crikey, he's going to fall over, break his ankle, slipping on the ball, and they're going to nip in and score. Um, midfield. We've still got the, the problem that we've, that we've had all season. I think we don't know how to transition the ball through midfield. Um, and up top, it, it, hugely, hugely problematic. This is with Saar and Pedro and Manai, it has to be said, who I think took himself off, quite frankly. How injured he is, I'm, I'm not sure. But he... Look, it's very early on. Early, the early showing is he's not going to be a huge superstar for, for Watford there, there are concerns so the fact that Watford weren't able to rein in QPR at any stage having got and was is a massive worry for me and this is with the so-called crown jewels in in the side so for me I've got so many questions floating around my head and Jason I, want, I really want your take on the game and where it it went wrong for Watford in terms of the areas of the pitch and what we should have done better but the overall overarching feeling for me is that is really concerning what we saw today. It's, it's sort of every element that we've been worried about for the first couple of games which is exacerbated massively today. And it doesn't feel like before kickoff today that there was really much intention of changing the squad mm. in terms of players coming in. And if we've got another, what, 39, 38, 40, whatever games with that squad playing like that I think it's for me it's going to be a difficult season yeah I think tactically I go back to the point first about their high line I think we were looking to get behind you can see the players making the runs the problem was, was that the guys at the back either aren't good enough to play the ball or deciding not to play the ball Gasper the number of times he looked up and, and the run's being made right play it and he's not and then he's turned back inside and looked for a short pass Kayembe Hamza both at times looked to play the ball couldn't play it because they're not because they're not loser I think once loser's back I think that will make a difference I think also how many different systems have we played already so far this season it varies on who's playing and obviously it's going to vary and depend and hopefully we will settle on a final system preferred system once we know what the squad's going to look like come the end of the transfer window because if Saar stays, we're probably going to play <clears throat> a 4-3-3 or a variant of that. If he doesn't, are we going to go back to playing 3-5-2? If, if he does stay and we play 4-3-3, does that bring Ngakia back into the mix? Because Gaspar, again today, at times, I, I just think, he does he know what he's getting in the Championship? Did he know what yeah. he was coming into? Because he's come from La Liga. He looks like one of the players we brought in in the, in the Premier League last year, just not... Not fit for it, and, and as you know, there's no doubting Mario Gaspar's pedigree. There's no doubting that he's a fine footballer. There's no doubting his resume and what he's been done and seen. But out there on the right today, 
what he contributed was that what we needed. And you'd say it's kind of miles off. Yeah. Miles. And, and I think and it just made it easy for QPR. You can, you can see they were, I think they focused most of their attacks down our right, their left. Because we try and push up. Yes, we were pushing our fullbacks up. Gasper was pushing up. Leave a big hole in behind. Chair, who I mean, you say about signing Albert Adoma, I'd love to have Ilias Chair in our yep. team. I, I think QPR have done a great job. If they can keep hold of him again through this transfer window, I don't know if anyone's looking at him, but he is a very, very good player. And he seemed to have Sierra Alter on toast, dragging him out wide, creating loads of space in the middle. And that's what made it seem to make it so easy for them, getting balls in. They had players to pick out to, to score the goals. I mean, you talked about the overloads on the, on the third one. They, they found Willock easily for the second one. Even the first one was because we gave them too much time, too much space, didn't close them down because perhaps we were lacking in numbers. Took the shot, got the deflection, yeah, won the lottery. If you, if you had to ask a neutral, and I think the neutral, watch it, the, the one other good thing about that game is at least it was sort of a rip-roaring, entertaining, good sort of advert for the championship, if you like. The, the arguments that Geordie were having, and I were having, Geordie saying, oh, we could, we could easily put this team away, which we could. Me saying, well, the, the opposite could happen. It was, it was, a, it was back and forth. So from, from that point of view, it was, it was entertaining, if, if nothing else. Um, but, you know, if you were to ask a neutral watching that game, who are the Premier League um, clubs circling around? Is it Pedro and Saar or is it Chair and Willock? If I try and find uh, something positive, which is uh, always difficult, yeah. having just lost and standing like two foot away from Mike, um, is that... QPR showed us what organisation can do. Knowing what you're doing, being relatively settled, you know, Mike saying, who would you pick out of the players? Well, our players are, are not unsettled, but they're, they're speculation. Theirs don't have that. So they, they, they've, they've got consistency in players. They've got, they've got consistency in the division they're in. We've come down. There's a lot of flux. We've got a new manager. I think, I think what they showed us is if you, if you have a, a plan uh, and you know what you're doing, then it can take you quite far in this division. From... from kind of negating us to the kind of time wasting that they did very smartly across the team every time they knew what they were doing we're still in the kind of the the early Ivic period of this season where you know he was shuffling around with lots of players trying to go out trying to come in I think we need to get this window shut in the way we kind of we held on to Kapu a bit longer than we thought we would you know if 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 this game has done two things one it's if I was your brand loser's agent I'd be knocking on Gino's door saying look if, if Ishmael is getting a contract you see what my player need, you need to keep you need to keep my guy happy because he's going to be really important when he comes back I think it, it Mike said on the on the on the chat hopefully it, it might kind of shake a few people there were, there were rumors that um Newcastle stumped up the extra for Isak when they saw that the them you know Callum Wilson getting injured so maybe maybe this will some some 50-50s should we, should we add or shall we not add we'll, we'll think let's make sure we add an extra bit of quality because it's a difference between it finishing in the top two finishing in the top three which then puts you in the playoffs or finishing in the top six and finishing seventh or eighth which means you do lose the players for cheap because you're a selling club so I think we need to make sure we get that that structure that solidity that players can, can play the ball over the top without having to look and take that touch and then leave the player offside or then turn inside, like you said. We need that, we need that fluidity, we need that dynamism, we need to be a team. And at the moment, we're still putting the bits together, the paint's still wet. So even if they are better, we're not getting, we're not getting the sum of the parts. That said, so the players we've brought in, which are decent signings, I think, in Courtney Howe's not ready, and Keenan Davis, who's obviously been a little bit unlucky, he's been, it turns out he's been on well all week and is, is therefore does, does that mean Newcastle coming in with a 60 million bid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, presumably. But... You know, all joking aside, decent signings, and we've been unlucky with with those guys not being able to slot slot straight in. 
but we've still got Saar, who's played a couple of games, still got Pedro, who's played a number of games. My question for, for both of you is, and, and you're right, we are sort of sorting the team out still. We don't know what the squad's going to look like, so neither does Rob, neither do the, do the players. But it's all right for us to ruminate about it and go, cool, this is difficult, isn't it? But we don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's fine for us. Surely they should be a bit more clear by now on how they're going to get the best out of what they've got. And I just wonder whether it's a bit of a, giving them a bit of an easy ride that we're going out there looking so, quite frankly, disorganised. Well, I don't know what you guys think, whether I'm being too, too harsh. I mean, what is this, the sixth league game? Um, and yes, there's, there's injuries, there's ins and outs as well. But what's the, what's the plan? How are we going to get the, the, these guys playing? And th- there has not really been much semblance of, of a clue with that. For me, I haven't taken much away from the, the, the six games saying, well, I can see what we're, what we're trying to do. And I would hope, and again, I'm looking at you guys to say, no, you're, you're wrong, you're, you're asking for too much, you're not bright enough football tactically. Why aren't we seeing more of what this team is supposed to look like? No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, there, there, there doesn't seem to be a plan. Again, I, I, and is it, does it come down to the fact, I mentioned it before, that with Saar in the team, you, you play one way without him, he can play the way that he wants to play the, the way he knows best to play for Rob Edwards and I mean is it as simple as that and, and it's, it's almost like you, you, would you drop Sai you, you probably wouldn't because you know what he's capable of just to get a just so that you can play the same system week in week out and, and I think again it comes down to this yeah, get beyond that transfer window right this is the squad we've got this is the way we're going to play Again, I think I, I, I like the fact that it did seem, although it didn't, the, the players didn't seem to buy into it. The fact that we did set up the way we did today, I think, because of the way QPR play. I think Cathcart not playing. I don't know if anything was said. I'm assuming he's worried about the pace of their guys up front because they did break quickly. They did move quickly. Is that why Cabaselli was in to deal with that? Um, but then, yeah, I mean, why not then? Gakia. I, 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 can't, I think we missed Gathgar and I think if you're playing fullbacks and you're, and you're playing up against quick players why isn't Ngakia in there why we've seen how slow Gasper is I was here for the, the game against Milton Keenstons he's not a right wing back either he's just not quick enough to get up and down the pitch and yeah that, that was well, that was always going to be a weak point for us today. And, and that, you mentioned MK Dons we didn't podcast after that for a, for a number of reasons but that's we've shipped five now at home, the, the MK Don side that we that Watford put out wasn't. It wasn't a second string. It, well, it was, but it wasn't. It was. It was decent. You're not. You're not sort of scratching your head. Who are these? Who are these guys? That was a decent Watford side who failed in midweek to to put away. You know, Milton Keynes Don's. They'll be up for it. They've got nothing really to lose playing here in front of a relatively big crowd chance for an upset all that all that taken into account but Watford went, were, were pretty abject on, on, on Tuesday shipped two weren't able to, to, to get themselves back into the game looked very very soft again today five goals in a week at home uh, is well I'm again looking at you guys is, is that a concern it's, it's got to be yeah I think we know we know Edwards he wants to attack he wants us to move the ball quick and I thought the first the first five minutes I thought we looked good. We were moving the ball. We were, we were switching it from flank to flank. Yeah. 
well quickly and you thought okay if we can do that we're gonna we're gonna sort of carve them apart and we, we're gonna win this one and yet after about five or six minutes they it's almost like yeah they they worked it out they i don't know if they changed something tactically they started to to block those channels they started to i guess they were bringing men back to support the fullback so that we couldn't get it wide we couldn't move it quickly they were they were working well as a unit whereas when they countered I almost thought, what formation were we, were we playing today? So to me, it looked like a four-two-one-three yeah. with Pedro and then Espria when he came on playing the one with Ken and Saar as part of the three. And those guys were not quick to track back. No, and weren't. then the other problem was when Kamara and Gasper were moving forward, equally they didn't look as quick to, to track back, and, and it just left space for, for QPR. And you can't. You can't think that you can just turn up and you're going to win because you've got better players and, and not put the, the work in. And that, you say your concerns, Mike, that concerns me. If, we're not, if we think we can just turn up, we're not going to put a shift in, we're going to lose. I think what I'd say, going back to Mike's question about you know, what, for what we're trying to do, I think it's not in our gift just yet. While the window's open, there's bigger clubs who can come and agitate our players. Someone can come in and put £40 million down tomorrow. Let's say there's an injury in the Premier League for a big club, and they go, right, we're going to get Saar. £40 million, pound. here you go, he's gone. So I think it's not entirely, we're not, it's not entirely down to us what squad we have in, in the, just yet. So we need to see what's going to happen there. I think we need to have irons in the fire. I think our relegation was known, you know, February, March, so we really should have been planning for this, particularly if we were bringing a new manager to bring in the players we want. I think it is true, Sarah is a winger and therefore that dictates your formation. But if you look at the way modern forwards play at the top level where I assume he aspires to be, they can move around. They can be on the right wing, on the left wing, they can be in the hole, they can be up front. If he wants to get to that level, he's got better to do it and he's got better to do it in the championship. So he should be able to play, he shouldn't be dictating our formation. I think in the, in the Premier League, you play your best player in the best position and that, okay. You had De La Faye on the other side and you had you know, whoever up front, Gal up front, you can whoever we had at different times, you can, you, can, you, can, you can fit formations around certain players. I think in the championship, someone who is, you know, we, we were hoping to get £40 million from should be able to play anywhere and, and still do a good job in, in, in the attacking area. I think where there are holes, I think in the midfield, there wasn't anyone obvious to come on and fix that. We've talked about loser, but loser, we can't just rely on one player to, to, to dictate our play. I think there's the, the stories of... Um, of, of Rob wanting to play with wing backs, we don't have a right wing back, not, not even a reserve one, so we haven't got a first choice one. That's going to dictate what we do there. We can't have Kamara on there because the poor guy, the only person more left footed than Kamara is Ken Semmer, uh, and so, and so I think we need we need to kind of see where it settles and then build a team and build a unit, not a, literally a team, not build a series of individuals, build a team in the way that QPR were today, like in the way the championship is full of these teams that never get relegated, never get promoted, to sit around kind of somewhere between 8th and, and 17th, depending on whether they're having a good or a bad season, maybe get to the playoffs every now and again, but never really challenge for promotion or, rele- or get in the threat of relegation. We need to, we need to do that as a, as a minimum, which is what we didn't do today. And then the cherry on top is the better players we've got, the good coaching, the desire, all those things that go on top. So it, it's, it's frustrating to lose to kind of see another home defeat off the back of all the game ones last season but I think we need to not lose our heads just yet and not expect the club to have, to have all the answers because the club aren't the only ones making decisions around recruitment and, and so forth at the moment and obviously Rob would want to plan stuff but if Davis hasn't been fit has he been fit to train if Loser hasn't been fit to play has he been fit to train so how's he? What's he been doing in training? How's he? How's he? Is he testing people to see if they can do things? You know, drop in Jao Pedro into more of a ten role. 
what other experiments have they been doing on the training pitch that haven't come off and we haven't seen on the pitch so they give it time but it's got to get better we're the Orns you're the Orns come on you Orns Adam Leventhal sat next to me he's smiling I'm not sure that's because he's sort of doolally uh, having to try and ke- keep on top of all the comings and goings or comings and not quite goings or comings <laughs> and then com- comings back uh, at Watford but he, you seem happy Ad so you alright? Um, yeah no I've had a, I've had a week away um, albeit when it's a, when you are a week away you're always sort of keeping tabs on, on what's going on and obviously sort of breaking bits of news here and there about Sara and Joao Pedro and Courtney House and things like that I had a week in the lakes which was lovely with the family just to sort of get away from it all it was nice and um, nice and sort of cool and calm and um, a bit a bit wet in places you know raining it was lovely it was really nice really nice to get away lovely so join us next week here on From the Rookery End for uh, and find out what Adam's been up to in the coming week so you mentioned them there, João Pedro, Ismail Assar. We're talking before kickoff. They're in the side, so they're obviously fit. They obviously haven't been sold. Do you think, Ad, just knowing what you know and what you've picked up over the over the summer and and since the season has started, they would have expected to have sold one of those two by now. And if that's the case, it's the fact that they haven't. Not, not from a footballing point of view. The fact that they're both still here, could that be a problem financially, balance sheet-wise? Well, I think the first part of your question, yes, I think they would have expected to have sold Ishmael Assar by now. Do you think, do you think they, they, would have, they would have been aware that bids probably would have come in for João Pedro? Do you think at any stage they would have considered that they would sell Cucho, Saar, Dennis and Pedro? That wouldn't have ever been the plan, but obviously things things change. And I think that when it was becoming apparent earlier on in the window that clubs weren't reaching the level for SAR, it became very clear. And this is something that has existed right until the end of last season, that João Pedro, was, it was more like, right, we've got to make sure that he sticks around rather than he's definitely staying. I know that everyone, you know, will want to keep a player like that and when you retrospectively look at the plan when we've gone down before when Ishmael Assar came down it was like give us a season we'll get back up you might go that summer or have a great season in the Premier League and then we'll sell you that that next season that has always been the plan with Joao Pedro but when you know when agents get involved and clubs start to look around and and you know targets shift and people think, hang on a minute, there's, there's definitely potential there. Start, saw how he started the season as well. Then, you know, there's, there's going to be things that change. And it, it became apparent that, right, hang on a minute, we may well sell Joao Pedro and we might keep Saar. But at exactly the same time, negotiations were going on for Saar and for Joao Pedro. And sort of something had to give because I think the feeling within the, you know, the, the high-ranking... Uh, powers here at, at Vicarage Road was like, well, hang on a minute, we can't, we can't sell both of them, surely. And if we do, we have to then make sure that we get a replacement in. So if Saab went, they had to get Cameron Archer in. That was part of the plan. That didn't happen. So then you backtrack and you end up with Saab. Well, hang on a minute, so we can sell Joao Pedro then? Yeah, we can, but only if Newcastle get to yeah. the right amount of money. Yeah. And that hasn't happened yet. On either, on either count, 
But let's not forget the window is still open, and that's not me being all old old school Sky Sports news and all the clocks ticking, blah 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 blah. There's no yellow tie here, although there is a little glint of yellow on his t-shirt. There is still time and there is still interest and there are still clubs that will want to make their move after this round of fixtures this weekend so i i'm not i can't say with any certainty whether they will both definitely be here by the end of the window let's, at all let's hope they're still on the pitch in well a couple of hours time anyway at but least that's, but that's the main thing mike now it's like right okay if you're going to keep them for this period of time you need to you need to be using them and if what forget managed to get a win out of today's game because Joao pedro you know crosses in for ishmael Assar to score bingo fine we've got them for now good maybe for Tuesday as well if you're going to stick stick around then fine if, we, if we're going to do any deals we do it after Tuesday you know we do it after Tuesday and then we'll, we'll get them done but whilst you're here you play let's stop messing around yes you've had slight niggles here and there and whatever how you, however you want to spin it but look you're, you're here now let's play perform and then you can go if you want to but you mentioned uh, a chat with this time last time we were in the championship we were well, just about to we had Shisko Munoz was hoving interview uh, Vladimir Ivic wasn't long for this uh, this job you caught up with him how was he? yeah really good it, it, was, it was nice to catch up with him people won't be surprised that he's not he's not you know he's not like um, a completely different person than the person that you see and we heard from and we you know enjoyed seeing a lot of the time you know via Hive Live and things like that for fans you know listening at home and stuff during Covid but look, he is, he's basically now um, looking for his next step because after he left Watford, there was only a short period of time, about three weeks, and he took the job at Huesca. And I think retrospectively now he's looking back and going, bloody hell, after what I went through at Watford, to then jump straight into another job, now what I want to do is just take my time a little bit, get the right one. He'd love to come back to, the, to England. I, I don't know if that's going to be possible because obviously the link was, you know, via the, the Pozzo sort of links in Spain and things like that, that that's how he got this job in the first place. But the way that he was talking and some of the, the, the things that he was talking about was, was actually quite similar to Rob Edwards, actually, putting the, the, the person first rather than the player, understanding people, being kind to people, making sure that you know everyone um, more than just, you know, what they do on the training pitch, looking after them. He's, he's, a, he's more of a modern coach. He's, a, he's more of a sort of a player care advocate rather than a hairdryer treatment sort of bloke. And, and that was really interesting. Just like little, just, just thinking off the top of my head, I'm just, you know, looking, looking at Joao Pedro there. He was saying, you know, sometimes we, we decide, me and my analyst, who's his brother, you know, we just let's let's get him a few sort of personal videos of of, of him, you know, doing not those sort of personal videos, <laughs> not those steady, you know, of his own tactics and stuff. And then, you know, so treat him in one way, but then with Ashley Fletcher, for example. And I thought this was really interesting to hear from him. He said he was such a brilliant guy, brilliant trainer, always would stick stick behind afterwards and do finishing practice. A really good professional. So it was just a sort of a recognition of the fact that he was focusing on the team all the time, not just on the first 11, which was a criticism that we heard from Adam Messina in a previous athletic uh, interview, you know, very much under Roy Hodgson. It was my 11 and then the other 11 can, you know, do whatever you want. Cisco was very much trying to create a culture. It was difficult for him, not in his first language, 
but he was he, he did well. He did something that not many managers actually managed to do. Hook or by crook, yes, we might have had a, a team that was too good for the championship, but he did something but similar to uh, Slavisa Jokanovic. You know, a lot of people at that time said, what, did they get promoted because of the quality of the team or was it due to the manager? It has to be a collective responsibility and, and it, was, it was great to catch up with him, hear how he's sort of got over the, the surprise of losing his job here at Watford and he said it was a surprise he said that it wasn't necessarily just down to experience um, and you know he, he basically wanted more time and that's that's the long and short of it and we will never know if Watford had stuck with Cisco Munoz for the entirety of that season would they have done any worse really would they have done any better who knows we will never know but what we do know is he did actually make his mark at Watford. I think that's what Kel Mace's tagline is there, which is absolutely perfect. Um, but, you know, he did make a mark. He did make his sort of his own, his own contribution to Watford's history, got them into the Premier League, and he left with one point per game. And he can hopefully then go on and have a, a decent career. Whether that's in England, I don't know, but he wants to make a next step and I wish him I wish him all the best because he's a nice bloke he's a nice bloke and I don't see anything when I speak to him interact with him that suggests he is anything other than a nice bloke and that's you take as you come don't you and you know I, I wish him all the best in, in what he does so let's just have a little a little taste of um, of some of the topics that we we covered here's, here's a bit of Cisco for you how do you now reflect on on how it ended at Watford do you think maybe maybe they were right maybe I wasn't wasn't quite experienced enough or maybe they should have had more patience and maybe it could have it could have been okay how do you how do you weigh the two things up you know uh, for me the first of all for me it was a surprise you know because yeah. i had a uh, uh, very good relationship with the director sportive and uh, i had very good relationship with uh, with gino you know it's uh, I, I think the team was uh, in good position because the team was in good position. I think we take the good numbers. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes when when they take this decision, it, you can do nothing. It's uh, you know always uh, I have a big respect for who are in the board. Always, and. Uh, when they told me the decision, I say, okay, only I can say thank you because I'm enjoying a lot working with Watford. Only I can say thank you all the fans of the Watford because they give me everything because um, when I'm arrived in Watford, it's uh, nobody know about me because I'm a young player and they give me big support and with humility, everyone working very hard and try to give what the Waffle fans need. But uh, for me, it was a surprise because it's uh, the team, I think, was in good moment. It was in good situation. Uh, the team, I think, we are improving every time because I don't know if you remember the Sissoko arrived two weeks before or three weeks before. It's uh, the, the different players closed the, closed the team in the last uh, three weeks or four weeks before like this but uh, it's uh, always I have a big respect I'm about who give me the chance and uh, for me it's always I feel in my 
heard, heard mm-hmm. oh. the situation about heart about uh, Watford because uh, I love them. This is true. I uh, check all the games and always uh, I want all the best for them because when you are when you are out of the one club, it's uh, the most important in how many friends you have there. Yeah, this is the and this was massive when when leave of the when leave of the Watford was massive Adam. and this is the most the, the much better for one person when uh, everyone is to give this support and give uh, this situation because I'm enjoy I'm enjoy and uh, I wish all the best for them because for me is uh, one club more in uh, in my experience life from the rookery end a podcast about life following Watford FC. So, we talked about the game and we've used the word concerns a lot. Well, I have, certainly, Kelsey Priest. Um, but in the week, we, we you know, we picked up on the, in the, in the Watford social universe, I think John's calling it, we'll, we'll stick with that, that Watford fans are worried, nervous, confused, concerned about, about where we're at. So we asked on our social media accounts what... Uh, what are your, what's your single biggest concern? And we got a lot back. Um, so we tried to distill those down into silos, into sort of individual um, manageable chunks, if you like. And we're going to um, attack these as time goes on in, uh, over the podcast and, and use them really as our uh, pillars to, to talk about and discuss and how they, how, whether things improve, whether there's cause for more concern. And I think they all really filter... They all make sense when you think about everything we've just talked about, because all the questions that we've have just risen from our conversation about the match can be can be filed under these. And the first one was money matters. So whether it's money matters or money matters or money matters, um, but obviously we don't really understand the financial situation. We don't know how big the financial hole is. What the actual impact is of getting relegated twice in three years? We just don't know what the picture is. I think it's fair to assume there's a very, very big hole. Um, everything that, everything that, you know, everything is less in the championship. The money you earn from TV, the shirt deals, the, the, everything is less. You get less money. But we don't know the actual impact and the, and the state of play. So how much money have Watford got to spend on, on players? Yeah, I think, I think, I guess a lot of concerns around that might have come out the fact that this week we've sold Hassan Kamara yeah. to Udinese for 16 million and loaned him straight back, which... One makes you feel a bit uncomfortable anyway. It looks it looks a bit dodgy. Obviously, it's allowed. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but it just sort of makes you squirm a little when you yeah. think, "Oh, that's my club doing that." Yeah. Um, and so it, but and yeah, what's it? Does it mean we we're desperate for that money? But are we having to get that money because we're not selling yeah. Saar or Pedro? Perhaps we were expecting to sell them in the summer. Scott Duxbury said he wasn't worried about financials. They they sort of do that, and you think, oh. Should we now be worried? But was that part of their plan? They're probably not going to reveal the plan in public. But yeah, that does make you sort of yeah. make it does cause it's cause for concern, like as many fans are saying. So money, we need. Well, I guess we'll never fully understand. You know, it, it, it's not going to be made public. But until there's a fuller understanding of exactly where we're at, money-wise, it's it's very difficult to to decide how to feel about it. Um, you would use the word dodgy. That may or may not lead on to the next one. Moji Bayat came up a lot in uh, in people's feedback, and understandably so. He's 
uh, now seemingly inextricably linked with Watford and all their transfer dealings. I don't think it necessarily has to be a Bayek client. He, I think he seems to be acting on behalf of Watford a, a lot. Um, some of the signings linked to his in his stable haven't necessarily set the world alight. And obviously there's, you know, there are stories in the press about him um, which don't necessarily paint him in a, in a particularly good light. Again, that's not something that we're able to comment on. We don't know the ins and outs. But on the face of it, what's available in the public domain is um, there are some question marks over him and there are some question marks over his, his deals, quite frankly. The one that screams out for me is, uh, is Vacuum Bio. I, I, like I say, I saw the game in midweek, Milton Keynes, and um, in the first half, every time he got the ball, his, his third touch was a tackle. He just couldn't control it, and he, yeah, his first touch was poor. Um, and it, you almost, you almost feel like you're talking about Andre Gray all over again. Oh, oh. And it's just, but I mean, it's early days. It's early days. We, we, you never know; things might improve. But the 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 first look. And the initial yeah. view on and, and sort of first impressions of, of Bio are not very good at all. I mean, my question is on this: If Watford weren't linked to uh, Moji Bayat, do you think there's any chance that Vacuum Bio would be a Watford player? My personal opinion is is no. And and the, and I don't know this. There is a very there's a possibility that if he's acting on behalf of Watford for, on that on that deal, he's obviously he's got interest in Charleroi as well. There's, there's possibility, not saying this is the case at all, there could be money coming from both ends of that deal for him. So there's, he came up a lot. It's right, therefore, that we, that we mention it. It's right we're careful about it because we don't know the ins and outs and we don't profess to. But I think there's legit, legit, legitimate concerns about how I say legitimate. There's legitimate concerns about, how, about his involvement, what it is, why it is, um, and, and what that should look like going forward. And leading on from that, the right recruitment, that is, has been a big, big concern. And I agree with it because you look at the squad today, you look at the substitutions QPR were able to make. They, were, they made sense. Not necessarily players that you'd be banging down the door at Loftus Road to bring to Watford, but they, they made sense in terms of where the game was going. Doma came on and scored a goal. They were able to bring on players who were able to see the game out pretty comfortably, really. I thought one of the things that we didn't mention, really, when we were talking about the game, was Watford had 25 minutes after they'd gone behind. And instead of really asking questions at QPR, they, they, they folded like a... What's a, what's pack, a, of cards. a pack of cards. What's that? What's that? Um, <laughs> a souffle that's come out of the oven too soon. It was, it was pretty, pretty uninspiring. And you look at the Watford bench, it's like, well, who have we got to, to come on? And I think the only potential game-changing substitution would have been a roll of the dice, hung bow on for Semmer, potentially. And, and that's it. So are we getting the recruitment right? That was, that, was, that was one. And then the final one is backing the boss. And, it, and it, are we giving Rob Edwards a fighting chance here? Are they doing what they suggested they do, which is falling behind him, get him what he needs um, to, to make a decent fist of it. I think Geordie really, is right with what he says. We don't need to lose our heads. And DCW said it in the group as well. And I'm prone to getting pretty peeved pretty quickly and throwing the baby out of the bathwater and all that nonsense. I, I throw my hands up to that. But I do, I just have, I have worries about what this side and this squad is going to look like. So are they, are they backing Rob Edwards with what he needs? 
and it's important, but that's something that came up amongst the supporters. So money matters, Mojibayat, um, recruitment, and back in the boss. I just say, I just hope that, as we've said it before, that we, we do give him time. If we've got all these other problems and concerns that we've got, you want to give him a chance to build something. We've already said that we've spent the first month of the season just sort of scrabbling around, trying to find our right identity, and that will go on till after the transfer window. Hope that there's no sort of knee-jerk reaction. Otherwise, it's all back to yeah, back to what we were doing years ago, and we're not learning from mistakes. You want to want to see something built here rather than just sort of scrabbling around, picking up a load of mud, throwing it at a wall, and seeing what sticks. Because at the moment, not much of it is. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. So as well as everything on the pitch, the celebration of the Hornets being at Vicarage Road for 100 years kicked off today. And every Hornet, living or dead, is remembering the last century of football. Here's a clip for a special Hornet heaven where some of the residents are reminiscing about all they've seen. In Hornet heaven, on the evening of August the 30th, 2022, two old friends are sitting together in the director's box in the Graham Taylor stand at Vicarage Road Stadium, looking out over the bright green turf below. Skilly Williams, sporting his usual large flat cap, is with Fred Pagnum, who's in his usual slightly scruffy suit. For a few moments, the two men sit in silence, reflecting on 100 years and 2,311 first-team matches of Vicarage Road. Come on then, Skilly says after a while. Let's make a list. What have we seen that we'd have never expected in 1922? Eee, says Peggy. Let's have a think. Okay, how about this? In 1922, we were in Division 3 South. I never thought I'd see us play 14 seasons in the top division on this ground and finish in second place in English football. Amazing. Come on, it's your turn to come up with something for the list. What else have we seen that we never expected to see? Skilly looks around the four sides of the stadium and considers the transformation the ground has undergone. In the 1920s, I had no idea you could play football at night, says Skilly. It's still exciting. Eee, nights under the lights. The 7-1 against Southampton. The 4-1 against Forest when they were European champions. Kaiser Slauten. And I never expected seats on all four sides and in the corners. We started out with Cinder Banking with trees and bushes and telegraph poles everywhere. Aye, I love all the colour. We played in black and white in 1922. Literally, black and white. But now the shirts are yellow and the pitch is always green, instead of looking like some kind of brown soup. The only soup you see now is in the posh restaurants the stadium's got. In 1922, the nearest thing to hospitality area was a tea Skilly and Peggy smile at the memories. They were teammates on the day the stadium opened its doors and they're still watching Watford Games together a hundred years later. Vicarage Road has kept them connected the way it has connected thousands and thousands of Watford fans down the years. Lovely stuff from Hornet Heaven as, uh, as always. And if you can't go back and watch any game in Hornet Heaven, uh, what you can do is get hold of this absolutely magnificent book. We're outside the, the Hornet shop now. I can see uh, piles of them uh, in there. 
those piles are much much smaller than they were earlier I have to say they've been flying off the shelves um, but it's an absolutely magnificent book written by Jeff Wick and people will know um, all about him heard, heard, heard him on the podcast before uh, writes for Watford Treasury um, but he's created this absolutely extraordinary book uh, detailing Watford's 100 years uh, here at Vicarage Road full of pictures full of stories basically you're going to want to get hold of this uh, this book here's Jeff talking a little bit about it so Jeff, the title says quite a lot. A hundred years at Vicarage Road. So what? What if I when I get this book and I open it up? What? What am I expecting to see? Uh, it's a, in large part of a visual history of Vicarage Road. There are about three hundred and fifty photographs in there and some other images as well. And alongside that, there's a, a narrative tells the story of what happened to the stadium and what happened in the stadium. Uh, and additionally, there's lots of supporters' stories. So we wanted to capture the voices of supporters in there and a few players' stories as well. It's all set out in a visually attractive way. The, the club's head of design, Paul Tate, has done a really nice job in, um, in laying it all out. How long did it take you to do this? It's 100 years, so how long did it take to gather 100 years' worth of history? Uh, well, two years. So I suppose it was only 98 years uh, <laughs> old when we started. Started getting the idea together and the, the, the structure and the material a couple of years ago. Things got more and more intense during that time. In the last six months in particular, particularly intensive, um, close to full time really for the last three months of it, just getting all, everything together and organising the photographs. There's, there's a very large amount to do yeah. uh, when you've got that many photographs yeah. and that many rights holders. Yeah. So, but putting together, you know, we say it's, like it's 100 years. In, in terms of, you know, there must be a, a billion pictures taken every single game, not only from the media and everything at a football game, the camera phones around the stadium for the last, let's say, 10 years how different was it was it trying to find firstly I suppose that the images from almost 100 years ago but also the stories from the you know over 70 years ago there are really very few images from the early days this is partly because Watford were in the third division south and national newspapers weren't interested and reporters and photographers never came so the only images that you can even really hope for are from the big cup ties we've managed to find some images from the cup tie in 1924 against Newcastle United um, some of which were, were, were originally in the Hulton Picture Library and we managed to track them down um, and someone actually was very kindly digitised one of us, one of those specially for this book which is an absolute beauty we've even used it on the back cover actually uh, showing um, seats all the way down to the touchline when you find an image like that you, you really seize on it and that's instantly going in the yeah, book yeah. right there um, we also found one of a motorcycle football event um, by accident, really, in Watford Museum. I was looking for images for, from something else and ended up looking in the wrong filing cabinet. And you, you see this picture and you think, hang on a minute, that's one of the motorcycle football games at Vicarage Road. Um, and that was an absolute find and a half you know that was uh, uh, you know, we were so pleased to spot that one once 
we get to the 50s, there are more images around. Um, that's because uh, a lot of the Watford Observer glass plates have survived. They're in the museum as well. So um, Colin Payne did a lot of digitising of those. We use those in the Watford Treasury as well. So the 50s through to the 80s were reasonably well provided for with the Watford Observer archive. From the 80s onwards, as you say, the, the more and more all the time, just because uh, the, the photography technology develops. And Alan Cosy, who's been the club's photographer for 40 years, Years, has got a very extensive archive uh, that, of his own shots and, and people he's worked with. But he's, he's also picked up or acquired other photographers' archives. So there's, he's got the archive of, of a fellow called Peter Cook, who did a lot of photography around um, the 60s and the 70s. So some of the images of those from those days are available to us through those means as well. The photographs you know, are very important, but there's, you, know, you spent a lot of time researching this, speaking to people. Um, like I say, the, you, the picture you showed me already, that picture of the, the, the motorcycle football, you think, well, did that cut the Vicarage Road pitch up more or did Saracens cut it up a bit more? <laughs> I wonder. But the, that's an amazing sort of picture. But when you look at it, what, do you have a... Uh, not actually strangely favourite, but one that... I mean, that was a lovely surprise to find, but actually one, when you look at it, you just go, that's amazing, but very, very simple, That what you found fascinating in it. Um, there are actually quite a few of those, um, and there's, 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 there's 10 or 12 that are f- absolutely packed with loads and loads of really fascinating detail and it was quite hard to write the captions for those ones because you kind of want to draw people's attention to things that they might not spot. There's a lovely one uh, that shows the beginnings of the construction of one of the floodlights taken from the top of the floodlight in the opposite corner. So you can just see the footings are in the ground and the rest of it, the, the, the metal parts are lying around on, on the old bend in the, uh, the southwest corner. Uh, there's another one which is an aerial shot. I, I, I suppose it was probably taken from high up in one of the hospital buildings that shows a boxing tournament in 1950. But as well as the stadium, uh, you can see the, the skyline of Watford in the background. So you've got the Benskins Brewery building and the gasometer and the housing sort of near and far. So it's a really good sort of panoramic shot of the town with the football ground in the front of it with a boxing tournament going on uh, with pit- chairs on the pitch. Uh, and then you, you look at you look up the detail of that, and you find they played two home games in the next four days immediately after this this boxing tournament, as it was in September. Yeah, they didn't have the special uh, was it plastic covering they put on for the Elton John gig. It was they it didn't. was straight on the grass. So what, what I think I, my my thing I would say to anybody who, who gets this book, especially do get this book, but then just look at the backgrounds, look at the detail, spend some time with those photographs, because um, there is. Yeah, it just brings it more all you know to life so much, so much more. Did- yes, yes. I mean, we we did have to we did take take the decision that certain games have to be featured. You yeah. know, the promotion nights and the golden goals. You know, Lloyd Doyley's goal is in there. Troy Deeney's famous goal against Leicester is in there. So we do celebrate the the great moments, yeah. but for the most part, there's not all that much sort of match action because the match action tends the photographs tend to zoom in on the players uh, and you don't actually get this sense of the stadium behind what 
we were really looking for in choosing the photos was pictures that have background in them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you know, your brother's Hornet Heaven podcast, you know, you, you try and imagine yourself in that place and looking at some of these pictures, you could imagine what, you know, what it would have been like to, to stand in certain parts of Rickard Road that I was never alive for when they were used. And even some of the bits, like the old main stand, it looks completely different, even though I remember sitting in it uh, when I was younger. You said you spoke to lots of people, fans and, and, and players. Any player in particular, do you think, yeah, surprised you in terms of, you know, we, we feel like we know them so well and we remember all their moments from the last 40, 50 years. But in terms of players who you might not have seen, that they shared any sort of stories with you? There are a couple of players from the 50s who I interviewed. I was particularly struck by the tales that Peter Walker has to tell. Uh, he signed professional at the age of 21 and had previously left school at 14 and worked at the West Hearts Post, where one of his duties, voluntarily actually, was as a photographer. So he had actually been one of the photographers behind the goal at Vicarage Road on match days in the late 40s, five to ten years before he was actually playing for the club. So as a teenager, he, he, was, he was taking these photographs. And he produced a photograph uh, of Taffy Davis scoring from a penalty against Port Vale in 1949. We worked out that it was pretty likely that he actually took that photograph, and it was a West Hearts Post press photo with the stamp on the back. Um, he had another photograph from, a, from the same period, which he told me was, would have been taken by the head photographer of the West Hearts Post, a man called Harry Williamson. But then he qualified that by saying, well, that wasn't his real name because he'd been a double agent in the war <laughs> uh, and was uh, post-war living out a, uh, an anonymous life. Well, not quite anonymous because he was called Harry Williamson, but uh, living out a life in Watford where he built up a career as the local newspaper photographer. That wasn't known at the time, that became known in the 1990s, but uh, that, that sort of opens up this, this image of quite a few of the pictures that we've got in the book were quite possibly taken by Agent Tate, uh, who was uh, described in, on his biography as more daring than Agent Zigzag makes Agent Zigzag look like a wuss. <laughs> he ended up as the photographer oh, at Vicarage Road. Yeah, that's fantastic. The, yeah, the world comes back to Watford, I suppose. Fans' um, stories. Any sort of really, you know, again, maybe from before you were a, a fan, or even things you look at things differently. Uh, there were lots of lovely fan stories. We've tried to capture different themes and strands in the ones that we've chosen. Uh, a lot about how you. A lot of fans were introduced to football by their their parents, often their, their dads, but but mums are involved sometimes as well. There's also a sort of sense of the carrying on of the torch. One fan has a story that we that we've put in there about his very first match. And he said, uh, my brother and I went with my dad and we were walking home afterwards uh, and we were approached by an older man who handed us this wooden object and said, here you are, boys, I've finished with this, it's your turn now. And it was one of those old wooden rattles. <laughs> so there's sort of the passing on of the, of the torch uh, was, was rather a nice image. Another of the supporters' stories is from someone who uh, volunteered 
at the sanctuary during the sort of early wave, the first wave of the, the pandemic when the club turned the whole stadium over to the hospital next door. Uh, so there's a very nice description, quite moving actually, of uh, the support uh, from someone who was actually involved as, as a volunteer in, in delivering that. I might also add that uh, Oliver Phillips has written a 1,000-word piece uh, about his memories, primarily on being a supporter before he became the, the journalist on first the West Hearts Post and then the Watford Observer that um, those of us of a certain age used to read every week. So, <laughs> so that's quite nice. It's nice to have his voice in yeah. there as well as such a, a sort of central figure in how uh, many of us have been... Uh, interpreting events at Vicarage Road over the years. There's another lovely one from the 60s uh, from a boy who got lost at his very first match, got detached from the people he'd gone with uh, and ended up on the pitch uh, (laughs) with a police announcement and uh, all his school friends were very surprised to see him actually on the pitch. So we're trying to capture various different, different aspects right through to the current time when there's a nice story about the the rainbow laces day casting right back there are one or two who made their first appearances as children in the 1930s and are able to sort of recall certain aspects of that we even had one that, that we put in the 1920s chapter which was actually a story about someone's grandmother this grandmother was apparently taken to a game at the age of five when her uncle was supposed to be looking after her for the afternoon because her mother went to a wedding. Uh, the uncle, first of all, took her to the pub and then <laughs> took her to Vicarage Road sometime around 1927. So uh, apparently the mother was not best pleased. <laughs> Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Yeah, it feels like any time there's a massive celebration here at Watford or something to get excited about, the gather, everything goes to pot on the, on the pitch. So we move ahead to Tuesday. DCW made the point we've got a chance to put this, this right, wash the sort of nasty taste of, of today out pretty, pretty quickly, which is the game that marks uh, 100 years at, uh, at Vickery Road, a pretty significant landmark. And personally, it's whenever we talk about potentially leaving Vickery Road, I always get a little bit nervous because this place means so much even driving past on a non-match day I'm sure everyone's absolutely the same they get the same feeling about it I, I actually say good morning and good evening to Graham on my work because my, my journey to work takes me past Vicarage Road and I always wish him well perfect and quite right too and uh, good afternoon to you Graham sorry about what you've had to see uh, this afternoon but um, yeah so we move on to Tuesday and that's the celebration for the for the 100, uh, 100 years here at the Vic the black and white shirt's going to be worn so I think that's going to be a special event really looking forward uh, to that and uh, seeing the club mark that um, but yeah on, on the pitch there's a job to be done isn't there Jace what if you're Rob Edwards I guess what are the what are the three things that you're looking to, to solve in, um, in training this weekend and how are you going to switch things up? I guess it's an impossible question because we don't know what the, what the side's going to look like come then. Well, that's an easy answer. I think the defence, the midfield and the attack are the three <laughs> things I would solve. I'm, I, well, to be fair, the attack is OK. So we, yeah, we were making things happen today, but defensively it was a bit of a mess. I think Middlesbrough have struggled this season so far, but they've won today. I think that's their first win of the season. Um, they've got a canny manager in Chris Wilder. They'll come here. They'll be organised again and they'll make it tough for us to... to 
to break them down. And the risk there could be that we will look to attack, 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 push as hard as we can. And if he's watched today, you can see, well, they're looking easy to pick off at the counter. What they might not realise, what, what will be the surprise, will be how we're going to play in terms of what setup we're going to be. So we've probably got that as an advantage. So I'm sure Rob's working out what different formation we'll play come Tuesday. I think fitness of players could, could count as well. Obviously, um, Jao and Ismail have both played... Um, they both end up finishing the game. They both on at the end, yeah. full ninety. Yeah. yeah, so they both played a full ninety today, off the back of injuries. Are they going to be fit and ready for for Tuesday, um, or is there a plan? Has he got an idea in his head already in terms of the players that he was going to get involved on Tuesday? Was he going to rest? Was he going to rest some? Were will we see the likes of uh, Courtney Howes now starting? Is Keenan Davis going to be ready? Uh, there's lots of uh, lots of conundrums to work out to solve before we get to Tuesday for him. I think Courtney Howe's coming in just to balance up that that defence because I think concerns is one word we've used a lot, but balance I think is is a huge one. And I think Courtney Howe's coming in for me. Cathcart's got to come back in as well just to add that that solidity. I was talking about someone to him about, about Craig Cathcart this morning, and he just brings that calmness. He's not gonna he's not gonna give you any wow moments but if it's in danger he's going to put it out he's going to look for a simple pass he's going to do the centre-back things like a centre-back should and you don't need more than that really at this level that often much as though we've sort of praised QPR today I do think they were value for their win just because they just, they just had more about them you, but by the same token you should be able to sort a team like that out much as, as good as, as Willock is much as good as Elias Cherry is you should be able to sort them out um, and Watford failed to do that today. So I think a, a revamped defence, Cathcart and, and Howes coming back in. Um, Weather and Gakir is, is, is looking at forcing his way back in by default. It's obvious that they didn't fancy him initially. There was quite um, strong transfer links with Hull. So I think you've got to get that. We've got to get back on track defensively. I mentioned it before, five, game, five goals in a week here, chips. They've got to sort that out, and you'd, I'd like to think if they can form a solid base, the rest might might start taking care of itself. My question would be, and, and, and Geordie alluded to it earlier, will that performance today have sharpened a few minds in the director's box? The rumbling was that the only transfers that would happen is if Sar or Pedro left. I think, for me, what's clear today is we probably need more than that. So, will we, um, will we see a change in team personnel on Tuesday? I hope so. Will we see some additions? I think that at least they'll be thinking about it now. But a massive game on Tuesday. We're not going to lose our heads. We're not going to. We're not going to get too upset. We've lost it. We've lost our first game of the uh, season. We're still unbeaten away from home, so we'll cling on to that. Um, on to Tuesday. Come on, you awards.